0: Welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral, where I, Grant LeBeau, small business owner and apparently podcast host, explore the impacts COVID-19 is having on small businesses and the humans that run them. On today's show, we have Greg Sherman, whose path veered sharply mid-pandemic, after decades in oil and gas, to the green pastures of solar. But a few things first, starting with our fun fact. Yeah. In a surprising turn of events for this show, today's fun fact is actually a fun fact. Why? Because the vaccine that we've all been waiting for is finally here. Americans began receiving the vaccine December 14th, 2020, almost nine months to the day that COVID-19 was declared a national emergency. I'll save the less fun vaccine facts for another segment. Time now for facts and figures, a few minutes each episode when we try to measure exactly what is going on around us. Starting with COVID, as always, now is very bad, but soon-ish it could be all over or at least a lot better. The USA is seeing over 200,000 people being diagnosed with COVID every day, surpassing 300,000 COVID-related deaths between March 1st and December 11th adding to that total over 2,400 each and every day. The combination of holiday travel, cold weather, moving people indoors, COVID fatigue, and the politicizing of science and preventative measures known to work, all metrics are trending in the wrong direction. I mentioned earlier the vaccine is being rolled out as I record this. What's puzzling, though, is we have 330 million people in the country. That's not the puzzling part. The federal government purchased 100 million doses. Okay. Each person requires two doses, so we basically have secured enough vaccine for 50 million Americans. I mean, that's reasonable if that's all that was available, but in November, we had the opportunity as a country to secure a second batch, enough for another 50 million Americans to receive the COVID vaccine. For some reason, though, the government passed on the opportunity, and I just haven't seen any sort of remotely rational explanation yet so I guess we'll have to wait until next week for more on that one. As many states enacted lockdowns and increased quarantine measures around how businesses can conduct business, without any real financial support, mind you, it's no surprise unemployment filings have increased three of the last four weeks and are above 800,000 for the first time since mid-October. And remember, T-minus two weeks until the CARES Act Unemployment Extended Benefits Abruptly end for 12 million Americans. Not to worry if you are a stock market index, though, as both the Dow and S&P continue to hover in record territory. Basically, Amazon, Tesla, and Apple just keep going. All right, enough of the big players. Let's talk small business with our guest, small business owner Greg Sherman. Right after these three quick things, one stick around till the very end of the episode for an epilogue lightning round where I ask Greg about his least and most favorite parts about entrepreneurship. Two, share this with a friend. Bonus points if they are a small business owner. Seriously, it's like the way to support podcasts. And three, try to shop small this season. Your presence will be more unique and your purchases will have a lasting impact. I promise you. All right, Soapbox Relinquished, interview time. My guest today is Greg Sherman, who after graduating from UC San Diego in 1984, was hired straight into an oil company. 11 years later, he started the Sherman Energy Group, becoming a self-employed consultant to the oil industry, focusing primarily in Oklahoma, though always commuting from San Diego. 15 years ago, Greg started a nonprofit called Access Youth Academy, helping underserved kids in San Diego. When oil prices absolutely collapsed at the start of the pandemic, Greg decided to use it as an opportunity to align personal values with his career and began working with California State Development as an independent solar specialist for residential and commercial installations. Here to talk all about that transition and answer some questions I've always had about politics and oil is Greg Sherman. Greg, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Grant. I am really excited to have you on because I feel like you are going to be providing a very uh, novel experience for us in terms of A, your business industry in general, and then B, the mid COVID pivot to something entirely new, essentially. So, first, as always, we will start with your personal background and how did you, how you got into uh,
1: the The energy industry at large. Sure, thanks. Um, so uh, after college, I got hired by a small oil and gas exploration company, and uh, kind of worked my way up through the company. They eventually sold out in 1995. Kind of dating myself here, but uh, uh, then. I decided that I had enough expertise in the industry to go out on my own and I formed my own company called the Sherman Energy Group. And uh, it was just at the time that uh, the internet was kicking in and my expertise was gonna be in the state of Oklahoma. And so I shuttled myself back there a lot, got people on board and online to understand that there could be this seamless exchange of documents and work, so that I could work remotely. So it was kind of the, the early days of working remotely, even before and, Zoom. Yeah. Oh, very much before that, <laughs> for sure. Uh, fax machines were still a big thing, of course. Uh, anyway, so I uh, yeah, I started uh, the Sherman Energy Group in 1995, and basically I've I've been running running that company ever since uh, as an independent consultant in the oil and gas industry. Uh, a, one, a one-man show. A one-man show with a lot of uh, subs working out in the field in Oklahoma, my eyes and ears, so to speak. Right, because I'm, I'm talking to you from your office, which is in
0: La Jolla, Southern California. You are, you are indeed. <laughs> a, couple mi- a couple miles from my office. There you go. <laughs> uh, and so what, what is the business model of the
1: Sherman Energy Group? Uh, basically we have partnered up with different oil and gas exploration companies, operators that get wells drilled in Oklahoma. So my biggest job function is in prospect development and a geologist would come to me and say, Greg, we want to get this well drilled here and then it would be up to me to uh, essentially put everything together uh, to get that well drilled. A lot of regulatory stuff, a lot of land work, a lot of negotiation. And uh, that's what I've been doing for a long time.
0: As as well as raising the investment, correct?
1: Certainly, there is that aspect. Um, uh, a lot of times, the geologists are the ones that do the, uh, the main presentations of the prospects uh, to other geologists who ultimately uh, put it to management to make the decisions on whether they're gonna participate in the, in the prospect or not.
0: Management of, of other larger? Other companies. other
1: large companies, yes.
0: Okay. So that was 1995 that that started, and we are now in 2020. So a solid 25 years. How, do, how did you th- see things evolve over those 25 years?
1: Uh, there was uh, a lot of cycles, uh, there was certainly uh, quite a few ups and downs, which is typical of any commodity, and um, we've just kind of rolled with the punches along the years. Uh, you know, it, I've had some really great years and some years where things were certainly a little, little more challenging. Uh, being remote always uh, had its challenges too. Yeah. Well,
0: hit on a couple of those for me.
1: Well, I, I think, um, you know, in the down, downturns of the industry, uh, the folks in Oklahoma would typically uh, turn inward a little more and look to support folks that were more local. And so I had to work a little harder to get people to still believe that I was their guy. Uh, so that, that was always a little more challenging.
0: And as far as the booms and busts, uh, this is something that I want to touch on more, I think later, but I'm, it's one of the questions that I was most eager to ask heading into this, which is, did you see booms and busts align specifically or, or, or correlate highly with the different, um, Political parties taking taking obviously Oklahoma is is deep deep red, but did you see you know you came in during the Clinton administration and then there was you know George W Bush and Obama and then back to Trump. Did you see uh, were were those booms and busts associated at all with the different uh, regulatory styles and stances of those different presidential um, of the different presidencies?
1: yeah not, not necessarily. Uh, They're there typically it was external factors. Uh, it might have been something going on in the Middle East. Uh, it might have been, well, the Great Recession, 2008, 2009. Uh, so there, there generally were just different factors that that played into the cycles and not necessarily uh, political ones. Um, I will say that, you know, with the, the current administration that's going out, uh, that the regulations, uh, related to the EPA, uh, certainly were loosened up, uh, and it, it allowed oil and gas companies all over really, but also in Oklahoma, uh, to maybe be a little less stringent uh, in terms of how they were handling their operations.
0: I, I think you might've um, made the understatement of the century there. I feel like you're, you're, you're <laughs> trying to touch on that quite gently. But of course, when you, when you have the EPA run by former oil and gas people, I would, the, the assumption would be, from, at least from an outsider, it would be that they'd be very oil and gas friendly.
1: No question. And I mean, that's always been the case, uh, in terms of, uh, red versus blue, the, uh, uh, the current administration and, and past administrations, uh, always, uh, enjoyed a very friendly relationship with the oil industry, uh, and in terms of exploiting the environment.
0: Right. And that that leads me to another question that i had which is about well is i first saw it you actually essentially asked it of yourself in your your uh, your background survey that i had you fill out which is about fracking and I, i i believe um you wanted to talk a little bit about that in terms of uh, how it's evolved and what, the, what you've seen as, as the, the kind of on-the-ground impacts of it from an environmental standpoint.
1: Sure. Um, it's a, an interesting subject and, and one that uh, a lot of folks I don't think really understand. Uh, I think the media kind of blew things out of proportion as well. But the reality is fracking has been going on since oh probably about the 1930s. Uh, a typical oil well or natural gas well was was drilled vertically. And so when you fracked into the formation, the, the frack fluid went into that formation and, and there were no issues. Once horizontal drilling technology started kicking into place, then when you start fracking into a horizontal well, the frack fluid can start migrating Uh, up and down and then it can actually get into uh, other formations and in particular uh, the water aquifer and so when the initial technology of horizontal drilling took place uh, there needed to be a high integrity cement job behind the pipe that was put in the hole so that when they fracked the well those fluids didn't migrate to some other, other place. And they didn't really do a good job on that. Initially, the technology, you know, they're still learning it. And so those frac fluids went into water aquifers and there were a couple movies made about it even, uh, that, that, uh, you know, spoke to the frac fluids contaminating water aquifers, affecting people's lives. And, uh, thus it got a really bad rap um
0: and and uh, yeah first of all i believe one of those movies had matt damon if i'm
1: that's correct yep
0: uh, do you remember the name of that one
1: i don't offhand but yep you're right
0: right. i'll I'll add it in later (laughs) and where do you think we are now from an what from an environmental standpoint in terms of the impacts of of fracking
1: well, um, during the eight years of the Obama administration, the EPA was beefed up considerably, and they really got their, uh, their house in order in terms of regulating the oil and gas industry uh, with inspectors and, and rules related to the cement jobs, related to the disposal of the frac fluid and so we really don't have the issues now uh, that we had then. Uh, the technology is kind of caught up, and we're we're not having uh, the environmental issues that we had uh, when they first started the horizontal drilling and do you think that
0: the oh from what from what you've seen does did the obama legacy last through the trump administration in terms of maintaining the uh i don't know the the more the the stricter hand i guess in guiding the guiding the industry uh absolutely
1: not okay (laughs) Uh, there there's been a a huge dismantling of epa regulation across all industries uh and uh you know I'm I'm an environmentalist at heart, so it's it's really challenging to to see this happening.
0: How does the loosening of regulations affect the business
1: climate on the ground? Well, I think there's uh, an attitude now that uh, you can have you know have the opportunity to drill anywhere, even though there may be some serious environmental considerations with the locations that are being picked. So there are very real
0: world impacts to the loosening of regulations. Absolutely. And do you think that there, does that play into the way that people are conducting their drilling as well, knowing that the sheriff might be a, a little more lax
1: I, I think in any large industry, uh, there's always going to be folks that are looking to see if they can save money and do things uh, in a way that where they may not get caught. Right.
0: And that—that's a, a very broad statement, there, Greg. That uh, you're—you're not on the stand. Uh, <laughs> So as as I, I guess what I'm getting at is people are very much make like th- there are very real world implications behind the the guidance from the federal government in terms or specifically the the EPA and if there are fewer and and further between uh consequences or or potential fines or etc that people really do I mean, obviously, they're they're humans. They're going to respond to those incentives and are going to drill in places that uh, may have or will have uh, larger negative environmental implications.
1: Is that fair to say? Yes, you summarized it uh, probably better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, yeah, <laughs>
0: you're you're being being too nice about it.
1: <laughs> I'm, yes there is a diplomatic aspect there. yes <laughs>
0: uh d- I, don't worry i i don't think from um from our our polling uh i, I don't think we have a huge uh oklahoma uh energy industry following of, of the podcast here <laughs> fair enough <laughs> if we do I, I would be i would be very surprised Okay, so uh, so heading into as we kind of move to to wrap up our pre-COVID set here, heading into 2020, what were your expectations? Uh, Or yeah, what were your expectations for the for the Sherman Energy
1: Group uh, at large? Sure, I mean if I if I look back um, to uh, 2019, uh, oil prices were at a a level you know generally in the uh, 50 to $60 range that were allowing us to, uh, develop most of our prospects. The economics made sense. And I, I thought things were going to stay that way into 2020. So in terms of my business, uh, uh, I thought I'd still be doing very well, uh, Maybe a, a ten to twenty percent increase in revenues overall, and was generally optimistic
0: and one thing i I meant to ask a little bit earlier was when when you were talking about the booms and busts, how did your best years compare to your worst years just as a as a um, you know represented by by percentage growth or or difference, I guess.
1: Yeah, if if uh, a best year was X, uh, a worst year might have been uh, oh, thirty percent of X.
0: Okay, wow. And was there was it often that those years would swing high and and low, or or was it relatively steady in terms of okay, two thousand eight, nine, ten years of uncertainty and and investors pulling back that we know those are going to be bad years. And then the good years last for a while, or is it kind of high? Yeah,
1: yeah. Gen- generally, it things bounce back fairly quickly, uh, and then you know there's kind of an upward cycle, trending. You know, could be six to ten years, right? And
0: one other thing that I, I want, just because I feel like. Not everyone is super keyed in on just how important the price of a barrel of oil is uh, as far as what investments people are willing to make in the industry. When you say a barrel of oil is $50 or $60, obviously what that means from an investor standpoint is, okay, we need to be able to invest and drill and, and pull out that oil at a price of less than $50 or $60. Yes, I'm over. I'm oversimplifying. But if prices go up to a hundred dollars, then you can then you can spend more to extract. If prices drop precipitously, which I am obviously, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of the game here, but that's obviously what happens. Then it's no longer uh, profitable to.
1: to yeah, buy- I sells. mean, so. What typically happens when the price drops is the demand for drilling drops and then the drilling costs drop and then there becomes an equilibrium. And it it may even be at $30 a barrel where you can still do very well because the costs uh, of drilling have come down so much, the cost of fracking, the cost of the pipe. Uh, the drilling contractors there's so many aspects and all of those costs drop and then suddenly thirty dollars a barrel works economically and Uh, why are the prices on all of those things dropping lack of demand
0: right so So basically uh, the the industry as a whole bears that bears the brunt or or um, evenly displaces that that drop in price essentially
1: absolutely and so then there's that equilibrium and then people start drilling again and then the oil price starts kicking up and then drilling prices uh drilling costs lag behind and so what's interesting is you'll see a lot of people that want to go out and drill when oil prices are low and costs are low because they know the price is going to go up over time so then once you get that right. well drilled and you start producing then they get the benefit of that price increase
0: interesting okay so headed into 2020 things are going well it's the last year of the of the Trump administration not that we knew that for sure at that point but <laughs> you know this is obviously pre covid who knows there could have been a a, a second a second term was not far fetched at that point in time so you basically had the the three years, the momentum of three years of light regulation and the world economy is doing well. Oil prices are middle of the road. Historically.
1: Yeah, 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 sure. Okay. Yeah, they're hanging around $50 a barrel. Everything was
0: hunky-dory. Got it. And on, on that hunky-dory note, we're going to uh, put a pin in it. And move on to our mid-COVID set. But of course, before we do that, as always, time for our unsponsor, which is an awesome company run by awesome people who produce an awesome product. They don't pay for a shout-out, but they deserve one anyway. So, Greg, who is today's show not brought to us by?
1: The unsponsor for today's show is Unhinged Craft Candles. And you can find them at Unhinged cc.com, and they're owned by two really cool guys travis and rob who met on hinge and they make craft candles uh they're environmentally friendly from 100 percent soy wax they're very long lasting and they come in many different scents like cashmere plum and banana nut bread and obviously here we are in december so uh you know, this is a, a great gift for the holidays, and and uh, I I just love what these guys are doing, and uh, like to see their business supported by all.
0: And what what what's the best way to support them? How do we how do we find them if we if we if we find ourselves needing some craft candles?
1: Yeah, it was unhingedcc.com, and you can also find them uh, on Facebook and uh, Instagram as Unhinged Craft Candles. Got it. And I
0: believe that their part of their pre- their uh their social media presence was enhanced by your by your by your lineage, if, am, am I, your progeny.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um uh, they they sell their candles at the La Jolla Farmers Market here every Saturday. And um uh my daughter came home one day and she said she met these two really cool guys, and lo and behold, she she started uh writing some blogs for them. Love it. Shout out to Rachel. There you go. (laughs) All right, and with that,
0: let's go ahead and move into our mid-COVID set where we talk about the real-world impacts COVID-19 had on your business. So let's start with March as we always do. When was the first moment you started to see uh, a business impact of COVID?
1: Uh, in march. <laughs> you you got it right on the money. And and how? Oh gosh. Um basically um uh oil prices started collapsing uh very very quickly as the the pandemic unfolded and um And why uh, was one- that? Well, basically, lack of demand. Uh, Everybody was locked up. Nobody was flying. Nobody was driving. Jet fuel oil demand, gasoline demand, basically dropped off completely. Right. The
0: the upside there, of course, being that you could drive anywhere, anytime, and not have rush hour. And oil prices started to fall, uh, obviously. Was it, um, let's see, can you quantify what, what that price fall was?
1: Well, um, at one point in April, oil actually was trading at negative $37 a barrel. So it went from 50 to negative 37 in about 30 days. And, and
0: that just sounds, it sounds impossible. For the price of something to be negative. What does that mean?
1: Well, I mean, in in the world of oil traders, where they are buying and selling contracts, uh, the traders uh, basically got caught with all of these contracts that they couldn't get rid of. And the only way they could get rid of them uh, was essentially paying somebody to buy the contract off of them, and thus the, the negative price. But ultimately, what it did to the oil investment community and what we were doing in terms of developing prospects is it, it just shut us down completely. How many,
0: um, how many contracts are you generally working on on an annual basis or, or at any given time?
1: Well, in terms of our, our prospect development, I would say we probably we're probably developing oh, 10 to 12 prospects a year.
0: Okay. So at that time, you had a, a three or four different contracts, kind of balls in the air. And those, yeah, just- we had,
1: uh, we had, we had put, we were putting together prospects in 2019 to be able to sell uh, to the industry in 2020. And uh, yeah, I think think your three of four is actually right on. I think we had three to four prospects ready to put out to the street. And of course, all of that stopped, everything was tabled. Right, so it's
0: probably a, a combination there of A, the price dropping precipitously, and then B, as we've talked about on the show with other people who are looking to raise money either for generally for an investment in their in their business but for you it's kind of you're uh, looking for ongoing investment essentially in in the prospects did you find that um, part of the reason why there was a drop-off was because investors were all of a sudden very very hesitant to put to have any sort of outlay of cash, or was it or was it explicitly related to just dropping price?
1: It was everything. I mean, the economics didn't make sense. Number one, because of the low low oil price, the investment community, you know, that that just shut down effectively. And then, you know, the other component of of my business is kind of the revenue stream from the oil and gas sales uh, of the wells that. Uh, we have an interest in. And because the prices were so low, it didn't make sense to even sell the oil and natural gas. So a lot of the wells were shut in, or we put tanks on the surface site and the wells would continue to produce, but the oil would go into tanks as storage to be sold at a later date when oil prices uh, increase. So the, the, there was no revenue stream.
0: Right. And so there's, so part of your business model is or revenue model specifically is a share of the proceeds from a, from any particular drilling
1: project. Yeah. When, when we put together a prospect and, and we sell it out to other industry participants, we get the well drilled, but, but part of my, my dealings is that I, I have a share in that. Well, okay. So if it's successful, then I'm going to benefit in that revenue stream.
0: And so if the price per barrel is negative $37, there's not much money to be, to, to be shared there.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it was only minus 37 for a day and, you know, but basically you at $10 a barrel or wherever it was for, a significant period of time, it just didn't even make sense to to sell the oil. Right. So there's there's the fifty to sixty dollar
0: range where life is good, we're we're hunky dory. There's the thirty dollar price range where the the price of doing business has gone down. So it's you know, at some point it does make sense to get back in or to to continue to drill at that point. And then there's the ten dollar price point where it just doesn't matter how low your cost of goods are because there's just there's just no way to recoup that
1: yeah it it just doesn't make sense because there there's ongoing operating expenses for the for the wells and um you know you just you don't even want to sell it at that point so
0: the thirty seven dollar the the negative thirty seven dollar price point that was in April basically as the the uh, the sheltering in place rules regulations guidelines etc w- kind of started to compile uh, or or compound I should say and it became evident that covid was not going to be solved by california and a couple of other states doing some some sheltering in place it became evident that this was going to be something longer lasting how did that? How did that impact your business and your mindset moving forward?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, I basically starting in April, I was kind of twiddling my thumbs, uh, and so I, I was giving some real thought to, well, what am I going to do next? Because I'm not seeing any sort of light at the end of the tunnel with the oil industry and the reality is that uh, oh with the the pandemic and and you know the pause that we we all had uh, I I kind of felt like you know the oil industry has treated me well over the years but at the same time um, the politics of oil uh have always been a challenge for me. And uh I I kind of felt like there might be some opportunities in alternative energy forms. I mean my company's the Sherman Energy Group. Does it have to be oil? No. I could I could go into something else. And uh what kind of flipped the switch was um uh we needed a new car We bought an electric car. The electric car led me to uh, doing my due diligence on level two chargers for the garage. And then ultimately it got me thinking about solar. And so this process unfolded and uh, I started doing my due diligence on solar and ended up um, with the grand pivot. Shall we say?
0: Well, let's get right into that. Talk to me. Talk to me about this grand pivot.
1: Yeah. So, uh, uh, kind of investigated a lot of different uh, solar companies and uh, found a company based in in Riverside uh, called California State Development, and they were looking to expand into San Diego, and I saw an opportunity to uh, uh, get involved with them still under my Sherman Energy Group hat, but uh, focusing on residential and commercial solar installations. And essentially, you know, this pandemic has, has gotten a lot of people to think more about the environment and ways to save money. And here in San Diego in particular, uh, our, our utility company, SDG&E, charges some of the highest rates in the nation and solar makes a lot of sense here, particularly given that the sun is shining most of the time. So, uh,
0: those are kind of the, probably the, the two biggest ingredients in, in creative in creating an environment conducive to, to selling solar a high prices b
1: lots of sun. There you go. And yeah, I mean, it just, it made complete sense to me and, uh, so yeah, I've uh I've been on a, a massive learning curve and uh gotten folks now to sign contracts. I'm licensed with the uh California State Contractors Board. And uh it's really exciting to to move into something that's certainly closer to my heart from an environmental standpoint.
0: I feel I like that that must feel like kind of a, a breath of fresh air having making that move to to align more with personal values. Absolutely.
1: And it's funny, I, uh, as I got more into it, I, I got more excited. And it honestly feels like I'm getting my first job straight out of college. You know, it's just got that, that buzz and that excitement to it. So I'm, I'm uh, I'm really pleased uh, with the, the pivot thus far. So How has
0: how has business been? You mean you've been doing it now for five ish months, four months?
1: Yeah, about four months. Um, It's uh, it's still slow. Uh, You know, it's a startup in essence, takes time. Uh, But also, there there's certainly some uncertainty out in the public space, uh, just with the the election that's happened, the pandemic that's still ongoing. And so to get folks to uh, to, to make a commitment, uh, an outlay of additional capital, so to speak, during these uncertain times uh, is still challenging, but I, I remain optimistic. Uh, there, there's quite a bit on the books for 2021, and uh, I, I think, you know, we'll get this vaccine and, you know, it'll, it'll work through itself here. And when you say
0: there are things on the books for 2021, does that mean you have commitments already?
1: Yes. Yes. That's great. It is. It, it really is great. Um, and what's also interesting is that the oil business hasn't uh, completely died. It's, it's still out there and I've got Got also some interesting things going on, so it's nice to have this period where um, I, I've, I've got a transition that can take place over time, as opposed to you know the oil business just being completely dead right now and then uh, right. being being reliant on solar completely. So so, so the, the the benefit here of being the sherman
0: energy group and not the sherman oil and gas group or the sherman solar group is that you're able to kind of have your 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 foot in one door whilst while kind of moving on to the other one uh you can yeah have your your
1: finger in both pies absolutely yeah no it's a it's a it's a a good setup right now uh given that you know, solar's just not rocking and rolling, and oil isn't either. But I've I've got both of them combined. Right, and are there
0: go kind of going back to the political or the real world implications of uh, which political party is in power? Are there subsidies right now available to home
1: consumers? Yeah, there have been, uh, for quite some time, uh, in 2020, any solar installation, uh, battery, uh, storage unit, uh, electric car, charger, even part of your roof. There's, there's been a, uh, 26% tax credit available. Uh, in 2021, it goes to And in 2022, it's supposed to go to zero, but obviously with the Biden administration coming in and their commitment to alternative energy sources, uh, we do feel that uh, there are gonna be incentives that will kick in uh, for 2022, certainly. And
0: on the opposite end of that spectrum, I remember hearing a story about how the trade war with China was hurting specifically the solar industry because the cost of goods on imported um components of solar panels were
1: being at, attacked specifically. Uh, uh that, that's that's correct. Um you know, from my perspective um uh, the solar panels coming out of China, uh, to me, were an inferior product overall. And what we're seeing now is that uh, the technology of solar panel manufacturing uh, is continuing uh, to get better in the U.S. with U.S.-based companies. And so that particular aspect is becoming less and less of a factor overall in terms of the, the solar cost. Are,
0: are, are you saying that it could be a good thing?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we've even got a company right here in, in San Diego that's, uh, that's doing uh, some great things with battery storage. Uh, So it's really exciting to, to see the changes going on in, this, in the solar industry.
0: Yeah, it's exciting to hear just from A, from a, 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 a potential consumer, and then B, just a, a citizen on, the, on this earth that, they're, that, we're, that we're making good, good moves and making things more viable uh, within the, the alternative energy sector.
1: Yeah, the costs are going to continue to come down. There's no question about it. And the technology is is continuing to get better. I mean, it used to be that panels would have about a ten year warranty. We're now seeing twenty five year warranties on the panels. Uh, I've even heard about some thirty year warranties. Wow! So basically, the the life of the mortgage. Oh yeah, with without question. And and you know, I I've, I've talked to some people that you know fully believe that. The panels right now can last 50 years with no problem. Obviously, there's a degradation of of their efficiency over time, but uh, yeah, the the whole the whole market has changed so much. Uh, it, it really is exciting.
0: So as we move into our post-COVID set here, which is more of a a name than a than a uh, a, a strict <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's it's not a strict strictly named segment, because obviously post-COVID was something that when this show was first created, it was something that I thought was right around the corner. And now post-COVID is, uh, I don't know, more of an idea. But uh, anyway, actually, that's that's not true. With the the vaccine on the horizon, I think a post-COVID world may actually be somewhat within reach.
1: But Yeah, I I would agree with (laughs) you. I I also think that uh, post-COVID with some uh changed habits hopefully yes oh definitely i th- i
0: was just talking to somebody about this yesterday about how their the habits that we had to learn very quickly early on i think were um they came on the scene quicker than i think they will leave the scene i think that people will be reticent to sit next to people in close proximity and to to gather in crowds especially um, in places where maybe the masks are less politicized and more uh, generally accepted.
1: I, I agree. And and ultimately, I, I think we're going to have a healthier society overall.
0: Yeah, I've thought about that, about how if we, will we kind of take up some of the, the really good things that I've seen in my travels in in Southeast Asia, which are, Hey, I'm that person is sick, so they're going to wear a mask to protect others. What a novel concept!
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my daughter lived in Japan for six months, and you know anybody who even had just normal allergies in the spring, you know they were wearing a mask. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, there will obviously be
0: many long-lasting implications of COVID how do, will they play to you specifically in the Sherman Energy Group?
1: Well, I think uh, the transition's unfolding, but I, I feel uh, ultimately that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote my work life uh, more to the, the solar world and uh, getting people, educating people, really, that they don't have to pay for electricity and be uh, beholden to a utility company where the, you know, the annual rate increases are five to 7% a year. Right. And,
0: uh, do you see any, uh, are there any impacts in terms of the, the, the solar market and, and, and demand from people because they are working from home and therefore seeing increased energy bills?
1: Well, I think that's going to be an inspiration for them to be thinking about solar in the long run. I think you're going to see a lot more electric vehicles on the road in the long run, which, you know, you got to charge those babies up. And, you know, the easiest way to do that is put a charger in your garage. Why not have that running off of your solar panels? So there's a lot of things that are happening right now that I think are going to be more conducive to uh, folks thinking about solar for their their homes, and to to
0: to go back to the implications of of uh, change in political party on we have kind of addressed the the how the Biden administration through subsidies through um, through those types of things will probably help the solar market can you can you prognosticate about the implications of switching to a to a democratic um, president on the oil and gas world especially given the bizarre economic uh, kind of context that that we're living in right now
1: yeah i mean i'm already hearing it from from oklahoma uh you know everybody is certainly not happy with the transition, and they do feel that you know there's going to be more regulations, and it'll probably translate into higher costs overall for the industry, and and maybe less opportunities to drill on federal lands. Uh, and you know, Trump opened up a big area in Alaska, uh, and that may that may get shut down. Uh, with the new administration, I was going
0: to ask For, you about that. Is is that is that the type of thing that can be reversed as soon as there's you know on January twenty first?
1: Well, I I don't know if it would happen at, right at that point, but certainly uh, you know they're going to be looking at offshore and federal lands and uh, areas of where there's you know significant wildlife and uh, proximity to national parks. I mean, who knows, but all of that is going to be looked at in a much deeper way. So long story short,
0: voting actually matters because it has real world implications. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No question about it.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh l- Last kind of uh, question of uh, relating back to y- your personal business and the evolution here, as you've moved into the world of solar and we look to wrap up 2020 here, how will if your expectations for for 2020 from a revenue standpoint were x, how how are you seeing things sh- shaping up here to, to end uh, in, here at the end of 2020?
1: Uh, well, 2020 is n- not going to be a good year uh, at all, um, but uh, certainly 2021 is going to be uh, some multiple of X. I truly believe. Really, that's uh, great. Yeah, I, I just, I, I think the, there's, you know, once we get this vaccine and people start coming out of their shell, I, I think uh, everybody's going to be. That I, I'm going to come in contact with is going to be excited to hear about solar. Uh, it's uh, I, I think everybody's going to hear a lot more about it and read more about it. To be honest with you,
0: so you said that the at the the in the, for the boom and bust years pre COVID that you might go that the the bad years might be as as bad as thirty percent of of X if X X being the the top uh, the top years is this year going to be better or better or worse than that
1: well in a bad year it was 30% of x um i'd like to say next year i, I might get to uh i might get to 50% of x okay yeah
0: well good so we're, yeah. we're we're moving up and then and only up from there i assume
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah and then i mean it it sounds like between the the Biden administration and increased subsidies on the horizon, and a drop in prices in a drop in prices, cor, uh, corresponding also with an increase in quality, uh, as well as higher than average savings rates right now, because uh, from households because they're not going out and spending on restaurants or experiences or travels, et cetera, it seems like the Environment and the and is creating a, um, a a market that is primed for solar investment down the road.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think you know as we come out of this pandemic, it's going to allow me to uh, to meet more people face to face or, or right. make pre- <laughs> pre- presentations I uh, and ju- yeah, and just get get the word out. You know, spread the gospel.
0: Right. Well, and, and on that note, as we wrap up the show here, what is the best way for our listeners to support,
1: to support you? Well, um, you know, the, uh, the best way is to to look me up at, uh, uh, California state development. It's Cal state dev And, and my email is Greg at Dev dot com, And, um, yeah, they can always uh, reach out and happy to happy to educate.
0: Right. So people are looking for solar panels on their houses, solar panels on their on their businesses, solar panels at their offices,
1: you're you're the guy. I'm the guy. There you go. We work the entire state of California and hopefully I plan to expand that beyond our state as well. Got
0: it. All right. Greg Greg's the solar guy. Hit him up. There you go. Greg's
1: the solar guy.
0: Greg at CalStateDev.com. Thanks so much, Greg. Thank you. Thank you to my guest, Greg Sherman. If you live in California and are interested in residential or commercial solar, check out CalStateDev.com. Time now for my unsponsor of the show. This is an awesome company run by awesome people, producing an awesome product. They don't pay for a shout out, but they deserve one. Today's unsponsor is Gold Dune. In an e-commerce page with eco-friendly home, lifestyle, and personal care items, they bridge the gap between what looks good, works good, and feels good, so you can be a conscious consumer without all the homework. Check them out at golddune.com. Speaking of shopping small, check out smallbizgoneviral.com for a rapidly growing list of unsponsors, always worthy of your support, but an especially pertinent recommendation if you are looking for last-minute holiday gifts. Maybe get a classic sweater made just for you from Episode 23's Public Habit, or a dress that incorporates height and shape from Episode 21's A-Len. Take an online yoga or twerk class from Episode 22. We've got lotions, fair trade purses, tahini, workout coaches, Brazilian activewear, base butter, performance socks, moisturizing hand sanitizer, and more! All at smallbizgoneviral.com. Thank you Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates for this awesome theme song, Worldometer, NPR, Robin Hood snack, and Morning Brew daily news emails, Statista, and my wonderful researcher Kaylin Juan. Someday this will all be over. Until then, fight the fatigue, social distance, and wear a mask. From an office in North Pacific Beach, recorded and edited before and after work hours, I'm Grant LeBeau, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral. And we're back as always with our quick bonus, lightning round, three quick questions for Greg. Number one, what is your least favorite part about being an entrepreneur?
1: Well, uh, I think always being on, you know, you never, never can really switch off. You might travel somewhere, but you know, you still, still gotta be on and, and available uh, uh, for everybody that you might be doing work with, uh, you know, for the, the the non small business owner um, you know there's certainly the uh, the flexibility aspect that's there but uh, you know there's more to it than just that
0: right right from an from an outsider's perspective it it looks good to just oh yay flexibility but there's of course a, a flip side to that coin okay question number two what is your biggest sources what what are your biggest sources of stress from work
1: Well, I've been in the oil business for a long time, and and I think the the biggest uh, stressor is just that, you know, there's ups and downs in the business. And and those cycles, uh, you know, especially when they go down, it it really can be stressful because you don't know when it's going to come back. And uh, that's always been challenging for me.
0: And lastly, and because we like to end this show on an up note, what is your favorite part about being a small business owner?
1: Uh, I I just think, you know, you can come up with the wildest idea in the middle of the night and wake up the next day. And by God, you just might be able to make that work.
0: (laughs) I love it. And that's the note we're going to end on right there. That is perfect. Thanks so much, Greg. Thank you, Grant.